God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Almighty God, you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And as we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please kneel. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Your Almighty and merciful Lord grants you absolution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit.
know, there's something every day that tries to distract us from just giving everything that we have to God and, and to praise everything but God. And so right now, can we just lift our hands and just say, God, we yield our hearts to you right now, Father. We want to be present with you right now, Jesus. We want all that you offer for us. God, and we sing your praises only. We lay down everything else that would distract us from that. And we just come to you with a humble, a humble heart, Father, right now in Jesus' name.
such a heavy spirit of the Lord that's in our presence. And the Lord, it just, he, he, he is so much here. 
and he's here for you. <laughs> he dwells in this place. It's his house, but he's, he's only here for you. Isn't that an amazing thing? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray together the Colette. O God, whose blessed Son came into the world, that he may destroy the works of the devil and make us children of God and heirs of eternal life, grant that having this hope, we may purify ourselves as he is pure, that when he comes again with power and great glory, we may be made like him in his eternal and glorious kingdom where he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I want to ask everybody here to stretch out their hands as we pray for these young people who are going off to Sunday school this morning. Hey, buddy. This is an amazing army. <laughs> and it seems like it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would watch over every of these young hearts and minds who seek to know you and to walk in your ways all their life, Lord God, that you would give them courage and strength for all the things that lay before them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go fight win. morning's first reading comes from the book of Job, chapter 19, commencing at verse 13. He has removed my brothers far from me, and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed, and my close friends have forgotten me. Those who dwell in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I call my servant, but he gives no answer. I beg, him, I beg him with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife, and I am repulsive to the children of my own body. Even young children despise me. I rise and they speak against me. All my close friends abhor me, and those whom I love have turned against me. My bone clings to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me. Have pity on me, O you, my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does and are not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed... This I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. This is the word of the Lord.
This morning's psalm is Psalm 17. We will read it responsibly by the asterisk. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purpose that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, Uphold my steps in your paths. That my footsteps may not slip. I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. O you save those who trust in you, for those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of your eye. I am under the shadow of your from the wicked who oppress me. From my enemies who surround me. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and will be forever. Today's New Testament reading comes from... The- 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our apostle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. Finally, brethren, pray for us, That in the word of the Lord you may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Glory be to thee, O Lord. St. Luke, chapter 20, beginning at verse 27. Then some of the Sadducees, who deny that there is a resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, and he dies without children, his brother should take up his take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died without children, and the second took her as wife, and he died childless. Then the third took her, and in like manner the seven also, 
And they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as wife. Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die any more. For they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised, when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. The Gospel of our Lord. We'll open with a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that as we dive into your scriptures once again, as we come before you on this Sunday morning, that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, and open our hearts to learn and to know what you would have us know this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to jump back in with the Israelites. We're coming closer and closer to the end of this story. I promise you we will get to the promised land. I know they wandered for 40 years. It may have felt like the sermon series has gone on for 40 years. I don't know. But we are nearing the conclusion here. We've got just a few more uh, stories that we're going to pull out of Exodus. And uh, then we're just going to dive in. They retell it in the next like three books. So we'll do all of those. No, I'm just kidding. Um, There's so much content here. But we're going to start turning in these stories. Today is the last time where we establish, we're going to talk about the law and the covenant, which is a great part to transition. We've been in, we had the escape from Egypt where God saved them by his mighty hands. And then we had the journey to Mount Sinai where the Israelites were being taught again and again that no matter what they encounter, God will show up and provide. And then on Mount Sinai, they get the the formats, the the theme, the template for how to live as God's people, as his treasured possession. So we're going to wrap that up today, and then we're going to start moving towards the promised land, which is very fitting because you, as you guys know, if you've been to Starbucks lately, it's Christmas already. So uh, things are shifting and changing, and so we need to get a move on if we're going to catch up and get to the promised land, which, of course, we know is Jesus, Right? Jesus is our promised land. So as we read today, let's remember that we actually, as we look at the laws, as we examine ourselves and think about ways that we haven't lived up, I don't know about you, but as I read the Ten Commandments and read about the Ten Commandments, I feel pretty inadequate. Let me say that to start with. But let's remember that Christmas is coming. That Jesus showed up and each of us is made worthy, not by our actions, but by his. And that this template is so that you can live in the promised land, not so that you can earn your way to the promised land. Very different. This is the template for how to live in the promised land, not your ticket to get in. 
Let's start with our collect this morning. O God, whose blessed Son came into the world that He might destroy the works of the devil and make us children of God and heirs of eternal life. Grant that having this hope we may purify ourselves as He is pure, that when He comes again with power and great glory, we may be made like Him in His eternal and glorious kingdom, where He lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. We just read that, and that frames the context of what's going to be talked about this morning. Because why did Jesus came? Sorry, why did Jesus come? English is hard. Uh, he came that we might participate like him in the eternal glorious kingdom. He's not satisfied with who you are now. He loves who you are now. He paid the price for who you are now but he is taking you to who he has made you to be. And so in order to do that, we started here, right? What did he do? The blessed son came that he might destroy the works of the devil. All those works of the devil out there, the big bad guys, he came to destroy them. But he also came to destroy all the works of the devil in here. Because where is the devil active? He's active in the hearts of men. He doesn't have power to go out and cause train accidents or take over the world like Ultron or uh, all these Thanos, these Marvel villains. He's not showing up and killing people. He's active in the hearts of men. So when Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, it at the very least means he came to destroy the works of the devil in our own hearts. Now, as we read through this, the Ten Commandments are the overarching, the revelatory declaration of what it means to live like Jesus instead of like fallen man. And Jesus himself affirms this in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we got through the first four commandments. So this week we got six more to go, and they shift. They go from these commandments about what you should do to commandments about what you shouldn't do. Maybe that's why I'm feeling particularly convicted this morning, thinking about all the things that I shouldn't do. But we're going to look to Jesus who comments on these commandments to inform what we're learning this morning. So yes, we're talking about these Israelites receiving the Ten Commandments, but we're also going to be looking at how this applies to us and how Jesus applies it to us today. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Sorry, we don't have slides this morning, but uh, you can follow along in the uh, Bible on your phone, in the pew, however you'd like to follow along. Matthew 5, 17. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away... Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So what's Jesus saying here, right? You know a little bit of the story of Jesus. 
He shows up and he starts ministry at the age of 30 and he does all these crazy things that nobody had done before. Nobody had said before. He's healing the blind. He's making the lame man walk. But he's also offending the religious types in this Jerusalem, this this city that is trying to live for God, right? They are the inheritors of this tradition from Moses, the Ten Commandments, all of these things. But guess what? He healed somebody on the Sabbath. That's, we think that's against the law, right? Don't do any work on the Sabbath. Well, he's doing a work on the Sabbath. And so what happened is there was probably, and I know it because this still happens today, many people who were taking Jesus' message as, yeah, the law doesn't matter anymore because I bring something different and new. When what he's clarifying here is actually by healing somebody on the Sabbath, he is clarifying to us what the Sabbath is for. He wasn't breaking the law, but fulfilling the law. The Sabbath was for our healing, for our restoration, for our moment to go about God's business, not to legalistically limit our activity. It was a day for the Lord. And so in every moment, and there's many of these throughout his ministry, where the Pharisees say, hey, you're doing this wrong. Jesus isn't saying, get rid of the law. He's saying, reinterpret it in light of what I say and do. That's what Jesus does for us for the whole Old Testament. He reinterprets everything in the light of his glory. Not changing it, but fulfilling it. Transfiguring it. Just like he was transfigured on the mountain before his disciples. And so when we look through here, even today you have people saying, well, Jesus came, so I don't have to listen to all that law stuff, all that judgment talk. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You didn't understand the law in the first place. If you thought the law was to limit your joy, to curb your enthusiasm, to take away life from you, then you got it wrong from the beginning. I came to show you that the law was actually to give you life and life abundantly. Not that we submit ourselves to circumcision or any of these ritualistic means of being set apart in the old covenant. There's a whole book of literature about how there are certain rules. Like I eat bacon, right? They didn't eat bacon in the Old Testament. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about like the Ten Commandments. God's rules for how to live your life, period. Not culturally specific, not bound to some covenant with Israel, but the rules that came down from heaven for how to live the kingdom life. So without getting into the nooks and crannies of Scripture to figure out which commands apply, the point is, when God tells you to do something, it's for your life and life abundantly, that he might destroy the works of the devil in your heart. And so when we look at these things and we hear all these thou shall nots, instead of thinking, man, I hate to be a part of a, a, a rule society where I'm so limited in my freedoms. Instead of that, let's think about the fact that thou shalt not means that thou shalt have life and life eternal. Right? When we avoid the things that are death to us, we get life. It's like a plant, right? We've got these plants. My wife really loves raising plants. Thank God, because otherwise every plant in our house would be dead. I have no care whatsoever for raising plants. But there's this tree, and it had this little speck of this fungus that got on it. And immediately she's like, we've got to get that taken care of. We can't have that getting on our trees. It's going to get on the other plants, all of this stuff. 
Why did she care? It was just on like one lease. Well, the same thing Jesus is getting at. If you violate even the least of the commandments, it's like that fungus that's just on the one leaf. It's going to infect the entire plant. And in fact, it'll infect all the plants around it. That's what sin is in our life. He says you don't get to give up. Like, oh, don't worry. I don't murder anybody, so it's okay for me to take the Lord's name in vain. Or I don't uh, steal, so I'm really good. I'm generous even. So it's okay for me to uh, do all these A, B, and C. Or I have a right to my anger. Whatever it is, that pet sin, those things that you have in you that you write off as, well, it's not that big of a deal. Jesus is not trying to be harsh when he says not one iota, one little bit of the law will be abolished. He's trying to remind you that every time you break the law, you're inviting infection and disease into your life that could kill you. Imagine if you walked into a doctor and your toe was infected and you said, don't worry, it's just a toe. It's not how infections work. It's just not. You're going to lose a foot, a leg, your life. And so when you look at the law, when you look at how we're told to live as Christians throughout the entire book of the Bible, let's not ignore the little things. They can kill you too. That's what Jesus is saying. God is not satisfied with your best version of yourself. We all have a picture of what the best version of myself would be. God is not even looking for that. He's looking for a whole different picture. And absolutely, he wants to bring you on that journey so that eventually, someday, you will be dreaming of the same image when you think of the best version of yourself. He wants to teach us what it looks like to be who he's called us to be. So we come back to the Ten Commandments, and we're just going to comment on some of these and see how they weave into this idea of destroying the works of the devil in our heart, leading us into life and life eternal, making us a promised land people. So we get to the big one to start off our thou shalt not. You shall not murder. And everyone in the room breathes a sigh of relief. (sighs) I have not murdered. Not recently anyway. Um, No, I'm just kidding. But most of us think like, wow, I've never wrongfully taken a life. So I can cruise by the thou shalt not murder commandment. Well, Jesus swoops in in the same passage we just started in, in chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. And he says, You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. That's pretty harsh. I myself count as a murderer according to that definition. Believe it or not. I think all of us, if we're honest, are condemned under that definition of what it means to be a murderer. So what's going on here? Is Jesus just out of touch with reality, with humanity? Are we all called to be judged for our moments of anger, our rage at those incompetent fools we're surrounded with? What is Jesus trying to say? Jesus knows that anger is a poison to our souls. And he's not, as I just mentioned, satisfied with the big sins in our life. 
But like a doctor, he will relentlessly cut out every bit of that cancerous sin in our life until we can truly live the life he's called us to live. What does that mean for us when we get angry? Well, it means the same thing for any of our sins. We are forgiven. We have grace. God has come that we might not be condemned for our sins. But it also means we've got work to do. God has more for you. Every time you encounter a sin you haven't overcome, instead of beating yourself up, what if you said, what does God have for me on the other side of this sin? Because that's how he thinks. That's how he writes our life. He writes our life with eternity in mind. He knows it takes more than 60 to 100 years to fix you. He has so much more in store for us than we can even imagine. And we go to him whining because he won't let us continue to play our silly games that infect us and everyone around us. But the point here is not, again, to say, you wicked sinner. The point is to say, come with me. Jesus is reaching out. Take my burden upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden's light. You don't even know what burden you're carrying when you sin. You're stacking up things on your back and in your package that he already paid for. Lay them down. Lay them at the foot of the cross. Forgive one another. It gets better. We're going to keep going down this list. Now we're going to talk about this one. You shall not commit adultery. And Jesus follows up his commentary on thou shalt not murder with a commentary on this verse. When he says in Matthew 5, 27, You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is not giving us any room to get away from his message this morning. And let me just be very clear. He also means any woman who has looked at a man with lustful intent in her heart is guilty of the same sin. I'll just say one thing on this, because we could go down the rabbit hole. This is absolutely one of the chief ways that the enemy in our culture is looking to snag and snare us in sin. It's everywhere. You can't drive from here to LAX without seeing basically naked women all over the place. And that's not new. Now it's all in your pocket, on your phone. You have access like nobody in history to participate, to worship at the God of adultery instead of the Lord your God. This is the constant problem with the people of God. In fact, Israel is called an adulteress by God throughout the Old Testament. Because what's at the heart of adultery? Well, in this case with Israel is they've taken their eyes off of that which is good, that which is true, that which is beautiful, the only wise God. And they've looked to other places for their salvation, for their pleasure, for their fulfillment, for their life. In the same way, a man or a woman looking outside of their spouse for that pleasure, for that fulfillment, for that life that only should come from your spouse, what's the problem with adultery? It's not just that you looked somewhere else, it's that you turned away from that which you have been given. God created matrimony so that you might have life abundantly with your spouse. Not only that, but that you could create a place of life abundantly for your family. And when you look away from that, 
I'm emphasizing the look away part, right? Because yes, there are enticing things out there. I get it. There's beautiful women, beautiful men, whatever it is, there are enticing things. But the sin starts when you look away from that which God has given you. Fall deeper in love with your spouse and lust won't be as hard of an issue. Now, I don't want to go too far on this because I don't want to get psychological, right? I'm just trying to teach the biblical principles. I understand that people fall all the time and it causes such great tragedy. But I want you to know that the key here is not don't do this. It's do this. Let me clarify. The key here is not the don't. Don't look at women. Don't look at men. Don't do this, that, or the other thing. The key here is love your wife. Love your husband. Love God first. You're not married. Guess what? All of that devotion you owe to your spouse, give it to him. Because ultimately, that's what our devotion to our spouse is about. It's about loving God well. I could go on and on, but the point here is Jesus himself categorized the church as his bride, us. And his job right now, from now till eternity, is to make us his beautiful bride. Now, I did see a funny meme the other day where it had this muscular guy, like, all dressed up in uh, wedding clothes. And it was like the man in the seat when he hears that we're the beautiful bride of Christ. And he's got this idiotic smile on his face. I understand it's a little funky to think that way. But the point is very clear. We are meant to be joined with God in everlasting joy and marriage covenant and communion. And you... Every time you look away from that, every time you serve whatever idol you have, what you can always remember is that he doesn't ever look away. He is always facing you, pulling you from glory to glory, molding you, teaching you, shaping you. Your faithfulness does not determine his. And so if you're feeling condemned at all this morning, remember that his faithfulness doesn't care how unfaithful you are. It is the same. And he's always inviting you to that next level of holiness, set-apartness, beauty, maturity, grace. And so we get to this, you shall not steal commandment. And then we breathe a sigh of relief. We're like, man, murder and adultery were hard. Now we're on just stealing. Like, I get it. Like, eh, There's a problem here, right? You know what stealing is all about? Stealing is all about a poverty mentality. You don't believe that God wants what's best for you. You think you have to go get it from someone else or something else. What is stealing about? Stealing is, if I don't take this, then I go hungry. Or I don't get my needs met. Or I deserve this. It reminded me of the prodigal son story, right? The great tragedy of the prodigal son story is not that the first son strayed away. But when he came back, the prodigal son, and the father welcomed him with open arms and celebrated him by killing the fatted calf, placing a ring on his finger, all of these things through a big party, he went, and the older son was angry. What did the older son say? He said, Father, you never threw a party for me or killed the fattened calf and invited my friends over. This is the older son who's been with the father the whole time, and the prodigal's here, they're throwing a party, and he's jealous. And what does the father say? Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. How often do we go out of our way to try and provide for ourselves when the father is sitting there saying, Son, 
daughter, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. And what does our Father have? More than we could ever need. That's for darn sure. Everything. And it says He will give us all things. How much more shall my Father give you all things? Stealing, if you find yourself cheating on your taxes, if you find yourself stealing a little bit from your company, or whatever form that might take for you, ask yourself, why don't I trust God to provide for me? Because He will. And if you don't have it, it means you don't need it. God will give you everything you need by His riches and glory. Now, it may be just around the corner. There are plenty of people who have even died for our faith. Did they need oxygen when they crucified our Lord? Yeah, He needed oxygen, and God let Him not have that because there's always a bigger story. So if you don't see the solution or the provision and you experience death in your life, remember that our God's a God of resurrection. So maybe your company goes under and you say, God, where were you? I needed this. And maybe he's saying, I've got more for you. Ultimately, we know that all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Okay, let's get through these last couple here. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, when I looked at the commentaries, most of them focused on, hey, guess what? You don't get to lie. We're not talking about just a situation where you bring forward a person and you say this or you talk to somebody. That person did that bad thing and you're lying about them. No, 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 no. This is a prohibition against lying in general. Did you know there's not a lie you can tell that doesn't have some element where it's against your neighbor? Because you know what? Jesus came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you violate truth, you're like that diseased plant. Not only that, but you're trying to warp reality to fit your needs. You're saying reality is this way, but I say it's this way. And you think that you're going to get away with that. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And in Psalm 5, 6, it says, You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Ultimately, what's the problem with lying? Lying blinds you to reality. You're not using lies like a tool to get what you want. That's not how we're built. When you lie, it changes your ability to see what is real. I feel like I could, I got to keep moving through this, but let me just say quickly that there's nothing true that you can speak that is worse than the lies that we tell. It is always better to speak the truth. Now, that doesn't mean that I need to tell Rowan about that trick-or-treat candy, or maybe it does, uh, that I ate. But, no, there's a point that I really want to make. That was a joke. The point I really want to make is that doesn't mean you walk around telling everybody everything, your deepest, darkest secrets. I've met people like that, and trust me, there's a lie embedded in that process too, right? There's something about wisdom and discernment where we don't have to tell everybody everything all the time. But, yeah. If your boss asks you what you were doing and you lie about it because you don't want him to know that whatever you... I'm not going to use any of my examples because my boss is in the room. But I'm just saying if you lie to your boss about something and you think you're getting away with it, how much is your integrity worth? Getting away with that five-minute thing or that little deal or whatever. Come on. Let's be true. Let's be like Jesus. The truth. Okay. Last one here. 
You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And I love this about the Bible, right? Because every one of us is thinking, I don't covet my neighbor's donkey one bit. And I probably won't, even if he gets a donkey. There is some parts here where we've got to transpose this to the modern era. But I do think that this one, more than any other, more than even the adultery problem, is endemic in our culture. This is just like accepted practice. Look at those people. They put them on TV. They put them on social media. They put them everywhere. Don't you want to be like them? Don't you want to have what they have? Instagram, right? Basically all social media are temples to the gods of covetousness. Look at how cool those people are. Look at that shirt they're wearing. Look at that drink they're drinking. Look at that place they're at. Man, it's such a lie. Because you know what? There is no person who does not have their fair share of grief and joy in their life. And you may covet their joy, but you don't get to have their joy without their grief and vice versa. Jealousy renders a 2D image of the person that you're looking at. You only see the shallowest of depths. You miss the reality of that person's life. And so let's not fall into this lie like, You're not going to be happier if you have your neighbor's things or your neighbor's life. You get what you get by the goodness of God. Not by some arbitrary judge. Not by some fate of chance. Not even by your effort. Absolutely, you can change your life by turning towards Him. But it's always by His grace that you achieve anything. That's why we can rely on His strength when we are weak. That's why He's strong in us when we are weak. Thank God. Because, man, if you get on that covetousness train, you know what it looks like? It looks like the people who then try and run their entire life towards a goal that doesn't exist. They take a diet plan. They get that new job. They buy that car. They buy that house. They marry that woman. They do all these things to try and get to the place where they think that they should be. And they show up and it's empty. And they've lost their soul along the way. Now, maybe you aren't tempted by changing your entire life to look like these other people. But every day you have that choice to look and to covet after somebody else's things. And over time, that bends the way you see the world. There's two ways that we can remind ourselves about the covetousness being a lie. The first is, you think you want what they have, you think you want their life, you don't. You really don't. Now, There are people who have really nice, like, computers or microphones. I like that type of stuff. And sometimes I can get one of those and hopefully further the kingdom of God through that. I'm not saying, like, the physical thing that they have that you want is bad, right? It's it's okay to watch somebody and say, like, what's the best possible pocket knife? And you look at the review and you're like, wow, those are all so cool. And you get excited. You get a pocket knife and it fulfills whatever function you want to fulfill. It's not what I'm talking about, but I think you know that. What we covet is the idea of joy that they must have. The idea of fulfillment that they must have as they get into that BMW or that Ferrari. There's an idea behind covetousness that isn't about the thing. And we all know that, right? Like that old-fashioned and that nice glass with that really nice whiskey isn't what I'm craving right now. What I'm craving is this idea of this fulfilled life that you build in your head as you put all these images together. And we have to know that that's a lie. Let's build our image of our life with God involved. 
Let's dream with Him because He wants you to have the good things. And ultimately, what you're doing is you're focusing on what you don't have. And so what's the real solution to covetousness? The solution is to love your life. But how do you love your life? I don't know about you, but I fail frequently. How do I love my life? Well, it starts with loving Him. And as you love Him, you, your eyes are open. As you thank Him for the things He does in your life. I mean, gratitude. You can't be grateful and jealous at the same moment. Try it. It doesn't work. One replaces the other. And so as you love Him and as you, He opens your eyes to what your life really is, we're promised that He has given us all things. That He's a good Father. And so just like all these other commandments, what's underneath them all? You don't trust what God has given you. In fact, even in your anger, why are you angered at other people? Because they're going to get in my way. They're going to ruin my day. They're going to do this, that, or the other thing. Well, if God is the one who matters, then guess what? I don't need to have a personal grudge against anybody. If God is paving the way, if God's leading my life, And then you could go down all of them if you're stealing. Well, guess what? God has more for you than you could ever steal. And we're going to end today by thinking about this. Where is Jesus in this sermon? Well, Jesus was the one who came and fulfilled all the commandments. In fact, for the thou shalt nots, it's kind of fun to think about how he reversed every one of them. Right? Thou shalt not murder. Well, he came, died at a murderer's hand that you could have life. That's about as opposite of murder as there could possibly be. In fact, that is the opposite of murder. He died that you could have life. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, he, to this day, is so committed to you that no matter what you do, think, or say, he will complete the good work that he's begun in you. He is faithful to his bride, the church. Thou shalt not steal. Well, he came to be the giver of all good things and is the giver of all good things. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Well, he is the truth. And not only that, he is the truth who, when he stands as witness for us, justifies us. Unlike the idea of bearing false witness that condemns. And lastly, thou shalt not covet. I mean, God so, he literally gave us every single thing. And Jesus does not covet anything we have, but instead shares out his belongings eternally invites us into his family, invites us to participate and be heirs in his kingdom. So today, as we think about all the ways we can improve, let us worship God and thank him for all the ways that he has already led the way for us. And let's rely on his strength because I know myself, I'm assuming you guys aren't that much different. I just can't do it by myself. I have to rely on his strength in me. Amen? Amen. All else fails, God remains faithful to us. Therefore, let us bring our anxieties and those of others before him, that the patriarch, all bishops, priests, and deacons will live lives holy and pleasing to God, that his name will be glorified even among non-believers. Lord, in your mercy, that the gospel will be freely preached in all nations without hindrance. Lord, in your mercy. 
that the government that government officials will root out corruption and ensure justice for all those they serve, especially the poor and the powerless. Lord, in your mercy, that the dignity of all life will be protected from conception to natural death. Lord, in your mercy, that the power, the fruit, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit will manifest themselves abundantly in our midst. Lord, in your mercy, that all missions and churches, especially those in the third world countries, will be provided with the necessary resources to further God's kingdom and to meet the needs of their people. Lord, in your mercy, that the poor, the homeless, and the hungry will find their provision in God and through help and their help through his people. Lord, in your mercy, that we will commit ourselves to love and doing what God commands. Lord, in your mercy. Against the evil one. Hear our prayer and direct our hearts into your love and into the patience of Christ. We ask this through his most precious name. Amen. Amen. Peace of the Lord be always with you. With your spirit. Turn and greet your neighbor with peace. The Lord be with you. James Madison, please be quiet. All right, uh, we have a few announcements this morning, so uh, listen carefully. Today is our All Saints mission offering. We give once a year for our missions worldwide. And so if you would, if you would like to make an offering to that, you please designate it on the envelope that uh, is in your pew if you're going to give today. Uh, or if you want to give by uh, the church website, you can also do that. We, I think they actually prefer that now. And then um, there, and I think we'll have baskets on the way out. Is that correct, Bishop? We'll have baskets on the way out for you to be able to drop those missions offerings into. Uh, the men's retreat is this, is this coming weekend, November 10th through the 12th, at the Alpine Retreat and Camp up in Lake Arrowhead area, Blue Jay, I think it is. And Eric Reed is waiting for you to pay. So please take care of that as quickly as possible. Uh, you can pay him by check, or you can do Venmo, or you could pray. Again, uh, especially through the church website, uh, 
denote that it's for the men's retreat. Uh, we do have a men's meeting also on Thanksgiving, the night before Thanksgiving, which uh, is the 23rd. Please be there to discuss men's business with us. Ladies Cookie Exchange. See Mia Harris for that. And then see me for the extras, because that sounds really good, doesn't it? <laughs> cookie Exchange. That's December 3rd. Um, grocery bags for the society or for, for our food pantry. Again, bring in your, uh, your grocery bags, and we do have a dispenser or a container right out there that you can put them in. Uh, and I just want to encourage you to come out on Mondays, 3.30 to 5, 5-ish. Our numbers continue to grow. This, this October, we served over 1,500 people, and um, I compared it to last October, and it's almost double the amount. So it's increasing. This is, the weather's getting colder. It looks like it might be a rainier season, a winter season than we've had in a while. It's the holiday season. A lot of people are in need, and we can really uh, use your help out there. And I tell you, when you get out there and you work with those people, it, it does something in your heart. I, it changes my perspective on, on life all the time. Uh, so please join us. We'd love to have you guys there. I think that's it. Any other announcements? Okay, let's pray for the offering. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, but do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
Welcome all baptized believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love him, for those who want to love him more. So come if you have much faith. Come if you have little. Come if you've been here often or if you haven't been here long. You who've tried to follow and you who failed, come. Because it's the Lord who invites you. It's his will that those want him should meet him right here, come to the table this morning. The Lord be with you. With your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. And let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give <coughs> Father, all powerful and ever living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he's freed us from sin and death and called us to the glory that's made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. So with all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory, and we join in their unending hymn of praise.
Lord, you're holy indeed, the fountain. Lord, you're holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts and make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he's given up to death, the death he freely accepted. He took bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup again. He gave thanks and praise. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ Christ has died. Christ Christ is is risen. And Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love, together with our patriarch Craig and all of the clergy. Remember those for whom we pray. Susan, Naomi, and Sonia, and Sandra, and Karen, and Tammy, and Denisha. Daniel, Catherine, Lori, Phil, the Barrett family, the House family. Sissy and Karis family. Our Marines and sailors at Camp Pendleton and all those who serve in our armed forces. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. And as we receive the body and blood of Jesus... May we be transformed, become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs, all the saints who have gone before us. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage when we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb.
Shipping out. So we uh, traditionally, are you both shipping out?
blessing. He had been in our midst. and Lord, we just uh, send him and we anoint him with your safety and your salvation. Lord, let it be a helmet of salvation and safety for him. And just cause him, Lord, where he goes to be that uh, quiet and successful, confident witness that you are real and moving upon the face of the earth. And we just bless this man of God in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. (laughs) Well, what would we do without our servicemen? It's one of the wonderful things about St. Michael's is uh, they've infiltrated us so well, and we have so many uh, men who served in that capacity. Please stand and let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and you have fed us with spiritual food and the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart through Christ our Lord. Amen. Say, Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking ruin of our souls. <clears throat> Remember the gospel, God is in Christ Jesus reconciling the world himself, not counting men's sins against them. He loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. And he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you. Remain with you always. Amen.